0: Welcome to Music History Monday for March 28th, 2022. I'm Bob Greenberg, and the title for today's podcast is Sergei Rachmaninoff in California. If you haven't already, please consider joining me on my subscription site at patreon.com slash robertgreenbergmusic, where I blog, vlog, podcast, pontificate, review and bloviate four to six times a week. We mark the death on March 28, 1943, 79 years ago today, of the composer, pianist, and conductor, Sergei Rachmaninoff, at his home in Beverly Hills, California. He was born on April 1, 1873, and thus died just four days before his 70th birthday. This post, as well as tomorrow's Dr. Bob prescribes, will focus on the last year of Rachmaninoff's life, during which he lived in Beverly Hills, California. Rachmaninoff, all six foot six inches of him, was one of the great pianists of his or any time, an outstanding composer, and a more than able conductor. He was, for example, the conductor of the Bolshoi Theater in Moscow from 1904 through 1906. Lucrative, though performing as a pianist and conductor were. What Rachmaninoff really wanted to be was a composer. Oh, the composition bug is, as I will attest, something of a disease as is the case with so many working composers, meaning composers who make the bulk of their income doing something other than composing, Rachmaninoff composed primarily during the summer months. Between 1890 and 1917, from the ages of 17 to 44, Rachmaninoff spent those summer months composing at his home in Ivanovka, a sprawling family estate-slash-compound roughly 260 miles south-southeast of Moscow. It was, by every account, a peaceful and idyllic place, one that both inspired Rachmaninoff and provided him the peace and quiet that he required to compose. Rachmaninoff's cousin, Sofia Satina, described the estate this way, quote, The small village of Ivanovka adjoined our estate. Endless fields stretched around us, merging on the horizon with the sky. In the distance, in the west, the belfry of our parish church, located five miles from Ivanovka, was visible. In the north is someone's windmill. To the east is nothing but fields, and to the south is our aspen forest. For many miles around Ivanovka, These aspen trees and our garden near the house were the only trees among the fields, and therefore these aspen trees were a refuge for hares, foxes, and even wolves, sometimes running from somewhere, especially for birds that nested their nests there and filled the air with twittering and singing." Yeah, that sounds lovely. Rachmaninoff adored the place the evidence of which is the amount of time he spent there, the amount of money he plowed into the estate, and the string of masterworks he composed over the 27 years he visited the estate. And then, for Rachmaninoff and his family, 1917 rolled around and everything fell apart. The Russian Revolution began on March 8th, 1917, or February 23rd on the Julian calendar, which was still in use in Russia at the time. Tsar Nicholas II abdicated his throne on March 15th, bringing an end to the Romanov dynasty founded 304 years before, in 1613. On November 6th and 7th, 1917, or October 24th and 25th on the Julian calendar, which is why the event is often referred to as the October Revolution, Bolshevik revolutionaries led by the party leader Vladimir Lenin, 1870-1924, launched a coup d'etat against Russia's provisional, meaning interim or emergency, government. Civil war broke out almost immediately between the Red Army, which fought for Lenin's Bolshevik government, And the White Army, which represented a large, if mixed, alliance of monarchists, capitalists, and supporters of democratic socialism. The Romanov family and their domestic staff were shot and bayoneted by the Bolsheviks on July 16, 1918. The faces of the dead family were then smashed beyond recognition with rifle butts and covered with quicklime. The corpses, were then thrown into a mine shaft and doused with sulfuric acid. Perhaps the murderous thugs who killed the family and their servants would have used polonium and a wood chipper like their modern equivalents had such been available. A telegram was sent to Lenin's secretary, Nikolai Gorbunov, quote, In form, the whole family have shared the same fate as the head. By the time the Russian Civil War ended in 1923, with Lenin's Red Army victorious, Rachmaninoff, thankfully, was long gone. Back in April 1917, two months after the start of the revolution, Rachmaninoff had dashed off to Ivanovka, hoping to save the estate in which he'd invested so much time, money, and love. But he could not save it. It had already been seized as communal property and was soon confiscated by the communist authorities. For our information, the village and estate at Ivanovka were completely destroyed during the Revolution and Civil War. Everything was reconstructed in the 1970s when the powers that were decided to create a shrine in the memory of Rachmaninoff. Rachmaninoff left Ivanovka in May of 1917, vowing never to return. That vow would apply to Russia as well. On December 22, 1917, Rachmaninoff, his wife, and two daughters left St. Petersburg, then known as Petrograd, by train for Finland with what they could carry in their small suitcases. They arrived by ship in New York City on November 10, 1918. Unlike his fellow compositional émigrés, Sergei Prokofiev and Igor Stravinsky, Rachmaninoff never saw Russia again. Rachmaninoff in America. At the age of 45, Sergei Rachmaninoff, émigré and refugee, was financially starting over. But he wasn't starting from scratch. He was a world-famous celebrity. Rachmaninoff told a reporter, quote, I have come to America to rest and work, unquote. It was more work than rest. He was in huge demand as a touring pianist, conductor, and recording artist, and this is what he did for the next 25 years. There was little time for him to compose, and between 1918 and his death in 1943, he completed just six works, including his Rhapsody on a Theme of Paganini of 1934, his Symphony No. 3 of 1936, and the Symphonic Dances of 1940, Rachmaninoff's last major composition. La La Land. By the early 1940s, the not-quite-70-year-old Rachmaninoff was suffering from a host of physical problems, sclerosis, lumbago, that being lower back pain, neuralgia, nerve pain, high blood pressure, and headaches. In early 1942, his doctor advised him to leave New York and move to a warmer climate. In those days, that meant either southern Florida or southern California. Rachmaninoff and his wife chose wisely and moved to the City of Angels, Los Angeles. It wasn't just the lack of humidity, alligators, mosquitoes, and rondesantis that made California a great choice. It was a cultural issue as well. By the early 1940s, Los Angeles had become home to a remarkable array of émigré-slash-refugee talent. Along with the composers Arnold Schoenberg, who lived at 116 North Rockingham Avenue in Brentwood, and Igor Stravinsky, who lived at 1260 North Weatherly Drive in Hollywood. There were the writers Berthold Brecht, Thomas Mann, Franz Werfel, and his wife Alma Mahler-Werfel, the widow of Gustav Mahler, the sculptor Anna Mahler, the daughter of Gustav Mahler, the conductors Bruno Walter and Otto Klemperer, the filmmakers Fritz Lang, Ernst Lubitsch, and Billy Wilder, and the composers Erich Korngold, Miklos Rosa, Ernst Talk, Max Steiner, and Ernst Krennick. As the line went, Hitler shook the tree, and Los Angeles got the apples. Rachmaninoff's first house in Los Angeles was a rental at what is today 9941 Tower Lane. It was number six Tower Road in 1942. A huge 8,000 plus square foot house with a view on five and a quarter acres in Beverly Hills. It was while staying at the Tower Lane House that Rachmaninoff's friend and biographer, Sergei Bertenson, 1885 to 1962, got to see and hear something we'd all give at least a toe to have witnessed, quote. Vladimir Horowitz, with his wife and daughter, lived not far from the Tower Lane House. Sergei Vasilyevich Rachmaninoff, was fond of the entire Horowitz family, and I heard him repeatedly express his admiration for the talent of the famous pianist. Horowitz frequently visited Rachmaninoff, and they played duets for their own pleasure, without an audience. I was invited to attend one of these exclusive concerts, and except for the members of both families, I was the sole auditor. The program included a Mozart Sonata, Mozart's D Major Piano Concerto, and Rachmaninoff's Second Suite for Two Pianos. It is impossible for me to describe my impressions of this event. Power and joy are the two words that come first to mind. Expressive power and joy experienced by the two players, each fully aware of the other's greatness. After the last note, no one spoke. Time seemed to have stopped. I, for one, forgot that I was living in Hollywood, where the word art has a habit of slipping from memory. When I came home that night, I wrote down the date of this extraordinary evening so that it could not slip away. June fifteenth, 1942. Unquote. It was sometime around the middle of June of 1942 that Rachmaninoff and Horowitz together visited the Disney Studio, where they were led on tour by Walt Disney himself. During the course of the tour, Rachmaninoff and Horowitz watched an early, from 1929, black and white Disney short called Opry House, the fifth Mickey Mouse cartoon released by Walt Disney Productions. It might be early and comparatively crude in terms of its animation, but the coordination between the music and the action of the cartoon is nothing short of genius, a word none of us should use lightly. At 4 minutes and 46 seconds into the 7 minute and 50 second cartoon, Mickey Mouse sits down at a piano and performs Rachmaninoff's over-the-top famous prelude in C-sharp minor, Opus 3 number 2 which was composed in 1892. After watching the cartoon, Rachmaninoff told Disney, quote, "I have heard my inescapable piece done marvelously by some of the best pianists and murdered cruelly by amateurs, but never was I more stirred than by the performance of the great maestro Mouse." Unquote. A link to the cartoon is provided. In late June 1942, Rachmaninoff bought a house of his own at 610 Elm Drive in Beverly Hills. In a letter to his friend Nikolai Mandrovsky, dated June 29, 1942, Rachmaninoff wrote quote, It's true, I bought a house, not a country seat, as Aldenov says, but a small, neat house on a good residential street in Beverly Hills, unquote. Pardon, we hate to quibble with the maestro, but that small, neat house is a four-bedroom, four-bath, 5,518-square-foot house on a point three two acre lot, currently valued by Redfin, at a cool $12,504,699. Neat, perhaps, but not particularly small, even if you are six foot six inches tall. Rachmaninoff continues, It, the house, has a tiny garden with lots of flowers and several trees, an orange tree, a lemon, and a nectarine. In general, I'm not lucky with houses. In my lifetime, I've bought six houses. Of these, only the one in New York was a success, and I sold it satisfactorily. The others I've either lost, as in Russia, or practically lost, as in Germany and Switzerland. This last one here will probably be taken from me by the invading Japanese, though, frankly, I scarcely believe they will get here. If they do come, it will only be for the sake of my house. Such is fortune, Unquote. The ongoing war with Japan is the source of an extraordinary Rachmaninoff anecdote told by the Russian émigré singer Yulia Fatova. Fatova, Rachmaninoff and his wife Natalia, and a number of Rachmaninoff's friends, were invited to dinner at the home of the Hollywood film composer and fellow Russian émigré Leonid Rob, 1900-1968. During the course of the evening, air raid sirens went off across Los Angeles. As it turned out, it was just a test. But still, all the lights were turned out and the guests spoke in whispers. Someone played a chord on the piano. Hearing it, Fatova began to softly sing a gypsy song. She recalled, quote, If I had remembered that Rachmaninoff was present, I should never have dared to think of singing. But at that moment, I simply felt like singing, and I sang. When the song ended, I was surprised to hear Sergey Vasilievich's voice. He had moved to the piano where I was standing, and almost in a whisper said, Please, go on singing, don't break this lovely mood. Nowadays one seldom hears a sincere voice. Your song is truly the Russia that we all love and miss so much. Sing, I beg you, sing much, sing long. I could hardly believe my ears. Was this really the great Russian composer who spoke so little, wishing to hear one who had lost faith in herself and who thought that there was no one in this foreign country who needed her singing? Unquote. When we return tomorrow, and Dr. Bob prescribes, we will continue with Rachmaninoff in California and then move on to his Symphony No. 2 in E minor, Opus 27 of 1907. Thank you. To sample and download one or all of my many courses on subjects musical produced by The Great Courses slash The Teaching Company, please visit my website at robertgreenbergmusic.com.